So as Andy said, we are doing a series about the Bible, and it's a, what we call a value series. So uh, here at Trinity, we have um, a set of values that, that drive us. So when we started, we said we don't want to start a church that is controlled by preferences or by traditions or by who can moan the loudest or complain the most. We want things to be driven forward. We want decisions to be made based on a set of values, values that we think reflect God's heart. And so we've got these uh, 11 values. You can find them on the website. And they're divided into three groups. And uh, the three groups are loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbors. And so three times a year, we take one of those groups and we make it our focus for a value series. So every January, start of a new year, it is always our loving God series. And so we've got a, a set, a little collection of values related to loving God. And this year we said, now let's just take the first one. Let's focus on that first value, which is pursuing God in the Bible. We want to be a church that is pursuing God in the Bible. Not just a church that is biblical. That's good. We're in favor of that. Not just a church that says uh, we want the Bible to be central or the Bible to be in charge. All of that's good. What we want, though, is to be pursuing God in the Bible, not pursuing information or pursuing data or pursuing answers to quiz questions. We really want to be pursuing God. And so uh, what we have then is this uh, incredible thing uh, in our hands, the Bible, which is the word of God to us, and he speaks through the Bible. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so we were thinking about this, and we thought, okay, wouldn't it be great New year, new venue, new situation. Wouldn't it be great if that value really gripped us this year? And we were thinking about kind of what to call the series, and, and we decided on a slightly, uh, slightly risky image. I don't know, Mike, if you can find it. It's, with the lights on, it's not going to be quite as scary as it was earlier. Uh, but uh, we decided to call it Unleashed. And let, let me explain that, because that is potentially the most terrifying image ever if it was bright enough. But the reason we took that is because there was a, a preacher in England back, oh, 1800s called Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon in London. And he used this illustration several times uh, about the Bible. He said, the Bible is like a lion that is caged up and people are advancing on this lion to attack it. And we are standing outside the cage with our weapons ready, trying to defend the lion. People want to attack the Bible and tear it down and say it can't be trusted and all the rest of it. And we as Christians can often kind of gather around and say, right, we're going to defend the lion. And Spurgeon says, no, all you need to do is open the cage and the lion can take care of himself. Just unleash the lion because there is such power, there is such force in the word of God that if we will just unleash it, it will certainly take care of itself. So there's a kind of a, a source of the image, but it's still slightly frightening, isn't it? Why would we want to mess with dynamite, with a hand grenade, or with a lion? You don't do that. Not if you're wise. You don't play with fire in that way. But have you read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Remember that story? We've seen Narnia. There's that classic moment in the story where Aslan, who is the sort of the Christ figure in the story, is being introduced by Mr. and Mrs. Beaver to the Pevensies. And they're like a little bit confused, a little bit concerned. And, and at one point, one of them says, well, is, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's response is, of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
And you put those two kind of thoughts together, a bit of Spurgeon, a bit of C.S. Lewis, put it together, and we say, okay, if the Bible is like a lion, if there's that potent power, that, that energy, that dynamism to be incredibly transformative, if God is safe, eh, that would be nice. If God is good, then it's worth the risk. If God is good, and that's the thing that drives us, is that we've discovered that the God who reveals himself in the Bible is an incredibly good God. That his heart towards us is a heart of love towards us. And so what we want to do and what we want to aim for this year is that in each of our lives, we would have the courage, if you like, to unleash God's word into our lives to open it, to blow the dust off, to read from it, to, to ponder it, to allow the Word of God to do His work in our lives. Now, sounds exciting, but the truth is that we often struggle. And so what we're going to do over the course of these weeks is deal with some sort of objections or obstacles because we know what they are because we feel them. Okay, so we're, uh, we're going to deal with the fact that the Bible seems kind of irrelevant and seems sort of like out there somewhere. We're going to think about that one today. Next week, we're going to be thinking about how the Bible got to us, which deals with the issue of can we trust it? It's an ancient document. People were involved. It's being translated. Surely we can't trust the book that we're holding in our hands. We're going to deal with that next week. How did we get our Bible and can we trust it? The following week, we're going to be thinking about what's in it. A lot of the time, we struggle because we think the Bible's just kind of confusing and difficult. And so we're going to start in week three with saying, okay, here's what the story of the Bible is. And that's going to come up throughout the year. And then the fourth week, there's just the practical issue of what do I do? And so we're going to think about some practical ways to unleash God's Word in our lives. So that's the sequence for these next four weeks. Now, the fact that God speaks, it's, it's like one of those things that can become so familiar that we can be so eh, about, but actually, if you pause to think about it, it's astonishing. The God who created everything is a God who chooses to communicate with us. Let me read you a couple of verses, and no need to turn to them unless you want to. The first verses of Hebrews, but this is not the, the passage we're really looking at today. But, but just listen to these words. The writer says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. How amazing is that? God spoke. Just think, if God had never spoken, if God had never communicated, we would not have a clue. We would be uh, completely blind, wandering around in the dark, trying to make up a reality. But God spoke. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all the prophets, God spoke through them. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, prophets, good. His son, that's even better. You see, we would never have made this up. If we were going to start from scratch and invent a, a sort of a, a spiritual reality, we'd probably end up with the other religions. A God who is distant and uninvolved, uninterested, unkind, uncaring, just waiting for us to fall short so that he can judge us and, and destroy us. 
Or maybe if we can be good enough, then maybe we can get up to his level and he can tolerate our existence. That's the kind of religion we would come up with. But what does the Bible tell us? It tells us that God spoke to us through the prophets, and then God spoke to us through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, that is the Son of God, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. If we want to know what God's like, we just need to look at Jesus. He upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. He dealt with the problem. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that amazing? We've got a God who not only created everything and not only sustains every single cell in this entire cosmos, but he's communicated. He's communicated through prophets. He's communicated through his son. And his son coming into this world has dealt with the problem of sin. He's made purification for sins and now is sat at the right hand of God. Mission accomplished. And here we sit with the word of God in our hands. That's an amazing, amazing reality. And I think if we were gripped by just how incredibly amazing uh, this is, as long as we believe that God is good, we would want to unleash this into our lives. Now, let me tell you that as a preacher, I was sorely tempted. I don't know if temptation is the right word, but I was really tempted to preach Hebrews 1. Because that is good stuff. And I could really uh, spend some time there. It's my favorite book in the Bible. I'd love to talk about uh, those three verses for the whole time. But I thought, actually, one of the things that's sort of a value at Trinity, it's not, I don't think we've written it anywhere, but we've said it a few times, is that we don't want to be a plastic church. We don't want to have sort of plastic fellowship where we pretend all is well and smile sweetly at each other all the time. We want to be real with each other. And part of that being real with each other is to admit that it's not just this glorious, happy, nice truth that we celebrate on Sundays. It would be easy to say, wow, think about God and think about Jesus and what he's done and the Bible. Isn't it wonderful? Amen. Let's go. But actually where we live, we, we live in struggle, don't we? We live in tough times. We live in the midst of difficulties. And so I wanted to take us to a passage that would reflect that. Because sometimes one of the things that we fall into, and I'm sure you do because I do, is we think, I will spend time in God's word when all is well in my life, which is a total nonsense because we won't. But that's sort of the way we think. Right now, I've got too much going on. I've got too much bothering me. I've got too many negatives. I've got too many struggles, too many questions, too many doubts, too many problems. I've got bills to pay. I've got situations arising in my life. And there's no way that I can spend time in God's word. But I want to say that actually it's in the midst of those realities that we need to unleash God's word. And so let's turn to a psalm right in the middle of the book of, uh, of the Bible is the book of Psalms, page 523. We're looking at Psalm 143. And I love this psalm because it starts in the realities that we live in, and then it speaks of what it is to unleash God's Word into our lives. Now, as we'll see, as we look at it, it's not explicitly talking about the Word of God. It's talking about David. King David lived a thousand years before Jesus. It's talking from his perspective, but what he says is true for us because of the Bible. 
Okay, so, so let's look at it. Psalm 143. Let me read you the first four verses and see if you can relate to any of this. If you can say, yeah, that's kind of how my life feels. Psalm 143 is a psalm of David, and he writes this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Pretty negative, right? He starts off talking about a plea to God for mercy. He, he recognizes that there's sin in him. And he's pleading to God for mercy, and he's saying, please don't go into judgment mode because I've got no hope. If you go, if you go all judge on me, I'm in trouble. Be merciful to me. In verse 3, he's talking about his enemy. could have been for David a very literal enemy trying to kill him. It could be kind of Satan, the spiritual enemy. But feeling like something is working against us. And then verse 4. <coughs> In verse 4, my spirit faints within me. Can you relate to that? That feeling that, that, that there's that the inner me, that the kind of the alive me is collapsing. The inner me, the, the, the me that kind of is alert and awake is struggling to keep going. He says, my heart is appalled. Really, that's, that's kind of like having the the stuffing kicked out of me. That's, that's saying that the, the inward reality of who I am is just desolate. I've got nothing left. <coughs> I wonder if you can relate to that. Maybe not because you're the king of Israel and you're being opposed. I, I suspect that's not true for most of us. But life kind of does that to us, doesn't it? Illness, financial struggles, relational struggles, work complexities. I mean, there's so many things that can be going on in our lives, doubts and fears and, and uncertainties. And, and there are times where we just say, I can't keep going. I, I can't face another day of this. I, I don't know what I'm going to do because if another bill comes, I, I'm, just, I'm not even just going to scream. I'm just going to die. I can't cope with the pressure. My spirit faints Within me, my heart is utterly desolate. That's the reality for many of us in this world. That's the reality of, of life when it kicks the stuffing out of you and you feel like you've got nothing left to give. And so what's the answer? What do you do when, when life isn't this rosy picture and a great big celebration and balloons everywhere, but life just hurts? What do you do? The world says, look within. Well, I don't know if you've looked within, but I don't find too much helpful within, so you can try that if you like. Uh, the world says, um, try philosophies, try keep fit, try New Year's resolutions. I mean, <coughs> seriously, how many of those work? 
I mean, the world says if you can't fix it, hide from it. Just get drunk or, or do drugs or do something that can numb the pain. Just throw yourself into your career. Give yourself to another relationship. Maybe have another marriage. Do something. Maybe the new thing will solve the problem. But actually, I think we all know, don't we, that the new thing doesn't solve the problem. Looking within doesn't help. Looking around us doesn't help. Looking to substances doesn't help. What do we do? Where do we turn? Well, in this passage, what David does is he turns to God. And like I said, he's not talking here explicitly about the Bible. He's talking about his own experience. But what he's describing is available to us precisely because we have the Bible. I want you to notice four things in this passage there are four ways in which unleashing God's Word into our lives will make a difference. And my goal is simple. My goal is to motivate us to dare to unleash God's Word this year. So take a look at the next verse, verse 5. David says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. One of the things that unleashing the Bible does for us is it takes us out of the tunnel vision that circumstances drives us to. You know how it is when when life's really hard and you're dealing with illness or finance or whatever. When there's a problem, it's like all you can see is this moment. All you can see is your life. I just want to get rid of this pain, this pressure, this burden, whatever it is. And we can end up completely focused on the three square inches where we live. But actually what we need is to be rooted in the reality of history. To remember, like it says there, to remember the days of old, to meditate on what God has done, to ponder to muse, if you like, on, on the works of his hands. As we spend time in God's word, as we unleash it into our lives, it roots us in a reality that stretches back over the centuries. A reality where God makes promises and over the course of millennia keeps those promises. A reality where God is able to work out his purposes no matter what comes against him. You just think of the the story of the Old Testament and as you trace it through and you see God's plan from the very beginning to send a, a male seed born of the woman who is going to crush and defeat the serpent and Every, literally all hell broke loose against that line. Just, just uh, Pharaoh trying to destroy. Later on, we just had the Christmas story. Herod trying to destroy. Enemies trying to destroy. For thousands of years, everything the devil had was thrown against that line. And God worked out his purpose over the course of millennia. And as we spend time in God's word, and as God's word gets into us, It reminds us that my circumstance and my struggle, as bad as it is, is not the whole story. And if God was able to work that out, maybe he's able to work this out. To realize that that we are part of God's great plan. And we may not see what's going to happen, and we may not be guaranteed solutions, and everything's going to be fine in two weeks' time. We're not guaranteed that. But what we are guaranteed is that God's plans and God's purposes will be worked out. And as we read the Word of God, not only do we see the plan coming from days of old, but we get to see how it unfurls right into the future as well. God's great big plan, and we're rooted in it. 
So verse 5 tells us to spend time uh, with our memories in action, with our meditation working, with our musing going, with, with our minds contemplating something bigger than ourselves. That's one of the blessings of God's Word that it roots us in the bigger story. Next, in verse 6, another thing that it does. In verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Notice the little word selah there. That's a a word that kind of means stop and chew on that for a while. Think about that. This is the the moment in the psalm where David really wants us to go, hmm. When we spend time in God's Word and when God's Word is unleashed into our lives, it reminds us that our greatest need is Him. Not only that we're rooted in the great big story, but that our great need is Him. Our great need is not for healing from this illness or for a lottery win to pay the bills or for a promotion at work or for another marriage or for a first marriage or or for this to change or that to be fixed. Those things may seem important, but our real need is God. And as we spend time in God's Word, it does something within us. It stirs within us an awareness that we are like parched land thirsting for Him. I remember some years ago, uh, I was with a friend and we were in San Diego. I was on the OM ship. So we're staying in the, on the ship in the center of the city. And we, we knew that there was this Christian museum. All we had was the address. And somehow we got a lift to it. It was in a place called El Cajon, which sounds like uh, something out of a Western, doesn't it? And it was a lot like that. And we got a lift out there, and we got to this little museum, and we looked around, and we bought some tapes and some books, and we, we had a great time. And then we thought, how do we get back to the ship? This was like two hours away, and you know we, we were 20. We hadn't thought this through. We had to get from El Cajon, which is basically in the desert, back to the city of San Diego. So we spoke to the girl on reception. We said, is there a bus that, that, that comes by here? And she looked at us like we were stupid, which we were. Uh, no, there's no bus for, well, the nearest place where you could get a bus is probably such and such a town. Oh, great, where's that? That way? Okay, thanks. So we, we headed off. I thought tumbleweed was made up for cartoons. Like, I thought that was made. It's real. They have this thing. You're walking down the street, and it just rolls in front of you. I was expecting cowboys or something, but actually there was nothing. It was just desert. Literally, I was walking along the road with my friend John, and to begin with, it was kind of funny. Like, there's a cactus. Like, that's a real cactus. Like, those, you know, literally, that's a proper cactus. Wow, I've never seen one before like that, apart from the ones in pots, which are rubbish. Like, that's a real, that's actual tumbleweed. And after a while, we started saying, I'm actually very thirsty. There's a reason why the ground is cracked and is dry, it's completely parched. I mean, it was, sun was beating down. We, it probably was dangerous. I mean, there were probably angels working extra hard because of my parents praying on the other side of the world for me at that moment. And these angels must think we're idiots at times. But, but we were walking along this road, and it literally was two, three hours walking through the desert, and it was horrible. You just realize how desperate you are in that moment. And that's what verse 6 is saying. It's like, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. If you have water and you pour it out on parched earth, it just disappears. It needs more. It needs more. 
And that's our souls. We need what only God can give us. And as we unleash God's Word into our lives, we start to recognize that. As we spend time in God's Word, it's not going to fix everything, but instead it's going to lift our hands so that we say, Lord, I need you for today. I need you for this circumstance. I need you in this illness. I need you with these bills. Lord, I need you more than anything else in the world. And so God's Word, as it's unleashed into our lives, it, it, it roots us in the big story It reminds us of our desperate need. And then thirdly, verse 8, look at the, well, let me read from 7. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Verse 8, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. When we unleash God's word into our lives, It stirs the response that is appropriate to the love of God toward us. That trust that can only come as we glimpse His love for us. Notice that word there, your steadfast love. That's like the big word of the Old Testament. If we were going to do an Old Testament word cloud, you know what those word cloud things are? You know, where you kind of analyze the words and then bigger font for more significant words. Steadfast love would be big and bold and right in the middle. That is a big, big theme of the Old Testament. God's steadfast love. We haven't got time, but turn back a page and notice Psalm 136. It's in your Bible, page 520. And it begins, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Notice the next verse. His steadfast love endures forever. Notice the next verse. In fact, pick any verse in that psalm. I'll let you pick just to, you know, to test my random theory here. Notice what it says. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the big theme of the Bible. The big theme of the Old Testament is that our God is a God of steadfast, loving kindness. It's a complex concept of of love that's active and proactive. It's faithful. It's loyal. It's God's loving kindness, goodness, loyally, faithfully toward us, all wrapped up in one word. Notice down in Psalm 138, Uh, Verse 2, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Notice the last verse of that. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. We could literally go through the whole of the Psalms, the whole of the prophets, and just see this verse, this word on every page. Let's go a couple of pages on. Psalm 144. Uh, Verse 2, right at the top of the page, he is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. Uh, Look at Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We could literally keep going. That's how common this word is. God's steadfast love is toward us. And as we unleash his word into our lives, the light and the warmth of his steadfast... Warmth is a nice word right now, isn't it? Should I say that again? The warmth of his steadfast love does something within us so that our response is, like it says in Psalm 143, that I... Where are we? Verse 8. For in you I trust. 
We can trust him because he's good. We can trust him because we see his character and his heart toward us. But if we don't spend time in his word, if we don't unleash what this has to say into our lives, then our trust will just be something we try to manufacture. I'm just going to try and trust God more. I don't try and trust God more. Look and see what God's like. Unleash his word into your life and it will stir the right response because his steadfast love will come through every single page right to your heart. And so God's word roots us in the reality that our life is just a small part of a much bigger picture. It reminds us that what we desperately need is God and it stirs a response in us as we see his love towards us. And fourthly, what flows out of that As God's favor toward us becomes clear, what flows out from that is a redirecting of our lives. Go back to verse 8. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Look at verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. The way it works in the Christian life is actually quite simple. God loves us. And then as that love transforms us, our lives get changed. We're a maturing church, right? Like we've outgrown our first venue, so we've got a second venue. We're like a toddler church now. We're moving forward. What does it look like to to develop as a community of God's people? It looks like actual real change in lives. It looks like growing obedience. Teach me to do your will, O Lord. Maybe for some of us, as we unleash God's word into our lives this year, we're going to be shocked to discover that God redirects us and changes us and fixes things in us that we so far have felt like, well, I'm going to hang on to that one. I'm going to keep that habit. I'm going to keep that little secret thing going in my life because, you know, changing that is just too hard for me. But, but remember the order. God's love warms us first. And then the response is, Lord, teach me to do your will. It may be that for some of us, 2018 will be a year in which God's word let loose in our lives brings about obedience in an area that we never thought we'd ever change in. God's word works because God is active and God wants to do a work in us. And so that's the invitation for us as we start the year and as we start the series is I dare you, I dare you to unleash this in your life. I dare you to open it, to read it, to think about it, to memorize it, to to bury it deep in your heart. I dare you to put verses up and, and come back to them every time you visit the loo or visit the kitchen or wherever. Whatever it takes, I dare you to unleash God's word in your life. Because what it will do for us, I can't even begin to describe even though I've tried to. Certainly it will root us in the reality that our life is a small part of a big thing that God's doing. Certainly it will bring to light for us just how desperately in need of Him we are. 
Certainly, it will bring a responsiveness in us as we see the steadfast love of God toward us, that we want to trust Him. And fourthly, that we want to do what He wants us to do with our lives, that we will start saying every day, Lord, teach me to do Your will today. Lord, help me to live a life that pleases You today. All of those things certainly are true, but I'm sure there's so much more. And that's the adventure is that we're not stepping forward into a program where the end is defined. And it's obvious, step one, step two, step three, you graduate. No, what we're doing is we're putting our hands into the hands of God or maybe into the main of Aslan. And we're saying, okay, you go. I'll go with you. 